we've been going through the letter to First John, First John, John's first letter, and so we're continuing on that this morning. And it's a passage that probably wouldn't normally go just pick as a favorite passage to to uh, talk from, but from this text, I get a question: How do you know something is true? How do you know something is true? There's two basic ways. You could, you could break it out differently, but I'm going to sum it up in two, two basic ways that we know something is true. One is through having objective facts right in front of you. So it's hard evidence of something that's a truth claim, something presently in front of you that you can assess a claim made about it. So I could tell you, for example, that it's 40 degrees and snowing outside, and you could go take a look and see if there's any snow coming down and observe whether that's happening or not. And you could take a thermometer and measure the temperature. And so that's, that's an objective way of measuring a, a truth claim or determining whether it's false or true. And technological truth claims, medical scientific truth claims are able to be made with this kind of observational evaluation. Another way, common way that we get our we evaluate truth claims is through testimony, through eyewitness testimony. Um, how reliable that, I, that testimony is depends upon the capability and character of the person making the truth claim and the circumstances of which they're making a claim about. Legal proceedings in courts and rely on eyewitness testimony as do historical records, but everyday things as well. I constantly rely on the eyewitness and earwitness testimony of my wife for all kinds of things. I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> I might ask you if it's wise. It is if she has good character and capability of knowing what she's talking about given the circumstances. So that happens. I won't say how often it happens, but it, it happens. She's very reliable. Today we'll learn about from the Apostle John what testimony that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is, and what difference that makes in our lives. The testimony is not just about ordinary, everyday matters, though it impacts ordinary, everyday matters, but it's a testimony that has to do with eternal things, eternal life, to be specific. So let's pray, and then we'll uh, read the text from 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 to 12. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is true, and a God who is able and capable of revealing to us truth that we need to know for eternal matters. We are naturally blind and ignorant of truth, and we need your help through the Holy Spirit to grasp what is true. So help us with this text, Father, to see what you want us to see and to be transformed by it, and to be grateful for how you Grant us eternal life through Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 to 12. And I'm going to start with verse 5, and then the screen will pick it up. Who is it that has overcome the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood... Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. 
And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God has gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. These are the words of the living God. So John had, in the prior paragraph, said that everyone who believes Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And in verse 5 of this chapter, he said that everyone who overcomes the world is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now John gives us reasons which testify why we should believe in Jesus Christ as Son of God. And they're threefold. They're kind of unusual the way he words them, but uh, I think we can make sense of it. The three testimonial tests he gives are one that Christ came or was revealed by water, and that's his baptism, and by blood, and that's his atoning death, and ongoing testimony of the Holy Spirit that was at work in John's day and is at work in our day as well. So first part of the testimony is Jesus' baptism. John the Baptist had received from God, if you see someone that you baptize and the Holy Spirit descending upon him, then you'll know that that's my son. And so John, in John's gospel, uh, John the baptizer, John the Baptist, so we got John the apostle, John the Baptist, said that I came, that Jesus might be revealed to Israel. God uh, had told John, as I said, that the one who you see the Spirit descend upon and remain, he is the Christ. And John said, I have seen and bear witness that this Jesus is the Son of God, as he did see this Holy Spirit descending upon him. And in Matthew and Luke's gospel, we we read that there was a voice out of heaven that said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So it was God affirming at Jesus' baptism that he is his Son as he started his ministry. The second part of the testimony is Jesus' death or his blood. His death on the cross is the very core of the redeeming work that he came to accomplish. About a third to a fourth of the gospel records is taken up with the last week of Jesus' life. And so that's how weighted it was to talk about his death and his suffering for our redemption. There's a flood of blood passages in the New Testament. I'm just going to quote some uh, phrases for you just so you get the impact. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. John said that in chapter 1 of this letter. In him we have redemption through his blood. Uh, God bought the church with his own blood. In Revelation we read, Jesus has freed us from our sins by his blood. And later in Revelation, around the throne, the living beings who are around the throne are saying, by your blood you ransom people for God. The clear and constant, consistent testimony of the apostolic writers was the saving work of Christ through his death, his shed blood on the cross. 
So, and the third witness is the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So John was writing of the testifying work the Holy Spirit was doing in his day. And as he continues to be that testifier to the truth up to, up to and including our present day. How does the Spirit testify? Well, certainly, uh, especially around apostolic times, he did miracles through the hands of the apostles to affirm their standing in the line of God's revealed truth receivers and truth communicators. But in John's letter in particular, he talks about in verse 2 of chapter 4 that uh, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So the work of the Spirit is leading people to realize and, and understand and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that, is only, uh, that only happens by the work of the Holy Spirit. So identified with the truth of Christ is the Spirit that John calls, he says, the Spirit is the truth. The Spirit doesn't just reveal truth, the Spirit is the truth. And he, it's like he just can't help himself. He is truth, and so he's constantly about revealing the truth of Christ. Not just any and all truth, but the truth of Christ. In John's Gospel, um, in three times Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. And he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will bear witness about me. So he, Father sent the Son, the Son and Father sent the Spirit, and the Spirit testifies to the truth of Christ. And then in verses 7 and 8, uh, he just kind of reiterates the, the witness factor of these three things. For there, in verse 7, for there are three that testify, and that's a real short verse, and then verse 8 the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. So they're in harmony. So the ongoing testimony of the Holy Spirit working in us, confirming the truth of Christ to us internally as well as externally through um, the apostolic signs and wonders. And alongside the historical testimony of Christ, that is, his identity as the Son of God, confirmed it as baptism, and as the Savior of the world through the blood of his cross, that is, his atoning death. And then verse 9, John writes, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Now, as I mentioned, we often rely on human testimony for all kinds of things. For example, don't, don't we rely on TV commercials to tell us what to buy? <laughs> oh, you have some doubts about that? Well, how about um, the, the phone calls you get while you're eating dinner? Uh, that always motivates me to want to go buy something. <laughs> Won't say what, but... <clears throat> or what about... <laughs> Is it worth sharing? <laughs> um, how about door-to-door sales people? I, I shouldn't say that because some of you probably earn your livelihood that way, but sometimes it gets bothersome. Well, if you don't trust those, how about Wikipedia? Don't you trust any source? Come on. The, the reality is we have lots of things that we need in place to know whether we trust a witness or not. Um, trust is an important issue when it comes to relying on testimony. Trusting someone's testimony is based upon relationship for one thing, but more than that, we need to trust the person's capacity to know what they're talking about, as well as their character, their expertise, and experience. 
Your best friend may know a lot about some things, but if they're not a medical professional, you don't want to rely on them to diagnose your health problems or read your MRI. God is the expert witness about Jesus Christ. No shock, Christ is his son, and God is well qualified more than any other person to be able to to testify to the truth about his son. He's infinitely capable, as a matter of fact, because they have been together for all eternity. And they share the same nature as God. So at Jesus' baptism, God testified that Jesus was his son. God testified he accepted Jesus' shed blood, his death, as the redemption price for our sins by raising him from the dead, paid in full, ransomed, good, acceptable in my sight for the redemption of my people. And God continues to testify through the Spirit that Jesus is his son, the only Savior for the world, How does God, through the Spirit, testify to the truth about Jesus? Well, first, he ensured that we would have an objective record. And so he saw to it that the apostles wrote the truth. In fact, in John 16, the Gospel of John, chapter 16, Jesus is recorded as speaking these words. When the Spirit of truth comes, there he is again, the Spirit of truth, he will guide you into all the truth. That's not a promise for all of us. We haven't been given the Holy Spirit to guide us into all the truth. So I'm not, I can write down my thoughts and hand them to you, but I'm not, you can't take that and say, hey, Pastor Gary wrote this, and if he, if he wrote it, I believe it. It's got to be 100% true. Um, you could think that, but that, this is a promise given to the apostolic writers uh, that they would be guided into writing what was true about Christ, both from their experience and infallibly guiding their writing of those things. And Jesus said that the Spirit would would take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit's job is to take the things of Christ and make them known to the apostles who wrote them in what, what was paper at that time and has been handed down to us. It's not very exciting, just in and of itself, because we like more direct communication, but... Um, the apostles got, wrote what the Spirit inspired, and the Spirit brings these things to life to us and confirms the truth of them into our hearts. And the rest of the, um, the letters in the New Testament beyond the Gospels explains the meaning of Christ's death and the implications for our lives. Then in verse 10, John writes, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. So, what did God do to ensure we got the testimony? He, he ensured we got it in writing. And then, in our fallen condition, none of us receives Jesus unless God enables us to believe in him. We are by nature resistant to the truth of, of Jesus Christ. So, therefore, Jesus said, in, recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So the reality is, if you are in Christ today, you're there not because you got so smart and figured it out on your own, or even through human influence, although God uses human influence. But working through human influence is the Spirit of God that Jesus said, you cannot come to me unless the Father who sent me draws you. And then he says a little bit later, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So this is how we get this internal witness, this internal confirmation of 
internal homing device to recognize the truth of Christ. The Spirit illuminating and bringing to life the Scripture to our hearts and showing us our need of Christ and the glory and beauty and excellence of Christ, showing us how he meets those needs, showing us his goodness and his truth. So the the Holy Spirit is relentless about revealing Christ to us. In this way, if you believe in Jesus as the Son of God, you have God's testimony about him in yourself through the Spirit. And since God is the most reliable, trustworthy being in the universe, believing Jesus as God's Son is the greatest and truest truth you can believe. And not just acknowledging it mentally, but trusting and treasuring in that truth of Christ being the Son of God. On the other hand, in the rest of verse 10, John writes, Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. If you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, in spite of God's testimony at his baptism, in spite of the testimony of his shed blood and the resurrection, and of the Spirit who is the truth, you are making God out to be a liar, which is not good. If you say, I'm not calling God a liar, I believe in God, and I'm, I believe Jesus taught some good principles, I just don't believe he was the unique Son of God. Then, as John writes, you don't believe God and are making God to be a liar because you haven't believed in the testimony which God has testified about his Son. If you know your Son is your Son, and hopefully, if you have a Son, you know that, and you know who he is, and someone objects, I don't believe this boy is your son. And you say, well, I was there when he was born. I have his birth certificate. My wife will testify he is our son. And the other person says, I still don't believe he is your son. So you're calling me a liar then. I'm not calling you a liar. I just don't believe you. <laughs> if you don't believe my testimony that this is my son, you've made me out to be a liar. And so that's how it is with God. On the other hand, some may object that what John is calling God's testimony is still from men because, you hear this all the time, what we know about Jesus is in the gospel records, which were written by men. The gospel records is the testimony of the apostles about the the life and ministry of Christ. And the events that they describe in their writings, they say these really took place. They, st- they stake their reputation on them. They suffered to continue to preach the truth of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. They confirmed that they were really apostles by performing miraculous works. Lying would have, been, would have ruined their whole case because they could have easily um, had holes poked through their story. So it's really crazy to think that They sacrificed their comfort, spent their whole lives preaching the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, and been making the story up the whole time. In fact, in John chapter 1, if you have your Bible, you can just turn back to it, the very first two or three verses. John started his letter affirming that what he was writing was based upon his and other apostles' eyewitness, earwitness, and handwitness testimony. 
He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life. So he's talking about the life who was Jesus Christ, in whom was eternal life, because he is himself eternal life, was manifest, revealed to us, and we saw, we listened, we, we heard him, we touched him. This very life which was with the Father was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you. So seeing, hear, talk, we heard, thought, all senses, and, and we're testifying to you, this is true, we're not making this up. They had real-time experience of Jesus Christ. Over three years, plus 40 days after his re- resurrection, they were absolutely convinced that this man was the Son of God, who was himself eternal life. Modern critics often paint the gospel writers as gullible, given to believing things that weren't true, or because they wanted so much to believe their hero, Jesus, was the Messiah, they put words in his mouth that he never said and made up miraculous signs he never did and invented his, his resurrection when it never happened. John's fellow apostle Peter addressed this criticism in Second Peter chapter 1, where he writes this, We did not follow cleverly devised myths. This is Second Peter 1.16. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses. So if you're determined to not believe them, you can say they were crazy and they made it up, but they kept saying these things really happened. We received the testimony from God. We, we, we were with him for three and a half years. We saw these things. We're staking our lives on, these, on the truth of who Christ is and what he did. But you say, well, okay, but weren't they still fallible? I mean, they were just men, and so they were still fallible. So how do we know we have the truth for sure, because they could have experienced some of these things, but they might have misrecorded some things. And again, um, yes, true in themselves, the New Testament writers were fallible dudes. But that's why Jesus promised, as he spoke in John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to ensure that what he... But the exact truth of what we needed to hear about Jesus, we got in the Scripture. And he said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness about me. He will bear witness about me, and you will bear witness about me. So the, this is God's witness. It's through the apostolic witness. The apostles' witness and the Holy Spirit witness was one. And then in verse 11... And 12, um, John gives us the bottom line point of why, why he's telling us this. This is the testimony in verse 11 that God gave us eternal life and this life is in the Son. Here is God's testimony. God gave us eternal life. And God hasn't testified about his Son only so that we would believe the facts about who he is and what he has done. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He didn't send him to set up a new religion. He didn't send him to give us our best life now. He didn't send him merely to give us a good example, though he is a good example. 
God sent his son to give us what we didn't have and couldn't have on our own, eternal life. He was eternal life in the flesh. And then verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the bottom line testimony of God about His Son. By everything between Jesus' baptism up to His death and resurrection and His ascension and by the ongoing testimony of Christ to the Holy Spirit, this, this verse 12, literally translated, was, can go like this. The one having the Son has the life, or that life. The one not having the Son, that life he does not have. Having the Son is abiding in the Son, is continuously living in the Son by faith. Only by trusting and believing in God's Son do you have eternal life. To say it that plainly, as this scripture plainly says, is to believe to be politically correct, incorrect, to the highest degree in our culture, isn't it? It brings accusations of religious bigotry, hate speech, narrow mindedness, intolerance, and disrespecting other religions. How crazy is that that the greatest news in the world is met with that kind of criticism? But what this text says is eternal life is only received through having Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The only way to have God's Son is by faith in Him. There's no other way to have eternal life but by faith in Jesus as the Son of God. But aren't some of us good enough to have eternal life even if we don't believe in Jesus? 1st part of that answer is... The somewhat longer answer than no is what John said in chapter 1, verse 5 of this letter. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That means God is perfectly holy and true in every way. There's not a shred of sin, darkness, deception, evil in him whatsoever. And anyone who would be in his presence forever has to be also completely sin-free. No one is ever qualified for that, for being sin-free in their very nature or in thought, word, and deed. Not you, not even your grandmother. Sorry, she's probably up there. Not your good neighbor, not the good religious person of any religious background, whether Christian or any other. There's no person on earth who could ever claim to be completely sin-free in nature and completely sin-free in thought, word, and deed. We haven't made it so far this morning without that, have we? Except there was one, Jesus Christ. He's the only one who ever completely obeyed God in every way and had no shred of sin only through his sin-defeating life can we be sin-free. It's, it's astounding that the one who knew no sin and never had the experience of any sin ever at all became sin for us, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
And the other part, answer to that is, can someone be possibly good enough, is not only are we not good enough, but none of us are alive enough. We don't have spiritual life. We're, by nature, spiritually dead. And so God's testimony is eternal life is in Jesus Christ alone, and we receive him and eternal life by faith alone. So this means a few things that I'll list, and then I'll pray and we'll uh, conclude with some worship songs and then another ministry testimony. It means you need to have Jesus if you want eternal life. You need to have Jesus if you want eternal life. And having Jesus means trusting in him as son of God, as the Savior through his death and resurrection. And it's that simple. And you don't have to leave here today without putting your trust in Christ. It's, there's no ritual you have to go through. Um, you display it by baptism. But it's faith, putting your trust, trusting in and treasuring and valuing what he did for you to save you. And it means if you're already in that condition and you have Christ as your life, that you need to be talking with other people about that need. You need to be telling other people about Jesus Christ. Um, it's, Christianity is not about tips to how to live a better life, though you can learn how to live a better life, but it's about having eternal life. That's the big picture. And then eternal life does leak out, hopefully, through living a better life. It means we live in gratitude for the free, gracious gift of God's Son for us as we sang and as Emily prayed. We need also to send support and pray for gospel workers among gospelless peoples, whether in our neighborhoods or among the nations. So Jesus is the best news ever. He is eternal life. And eternal life is found only in him, but it's abundantly available through him. That's fantastic news. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe the testimony of your Father that you are his Son. Even before you were resurrected and returned and restored to your glory, uh, when you were like us in human frailty, it was the Son of God packaged in frail human flesh, and that's one of the greatest mysteries, if not the greatest mystery in the universe, is how and why you would do that. We know what the scripture says why you did that because you are love and it just pleased you to save and the testimony of his shed blood um, throughout the centuries leading up to his doing that father the, the rituals the sacrifices the priesthood all of that and the older covenant pointing to there needed to be a permanent sacrifice and apart from the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness, uh, cleansing from sin. And so, Jesus, we thank you that though you didn't ever have a shrapnel, any, any sin of your own ever, in thought, word, or deed, you took our punishment. You took the judgment due to us so that we wouldn't have to suffer condemnation ever if we put our trust in you. And, Father, we recognize that unless... 
through the Holy Spirit, you overcame our resistance to seeing that our only hope is in Christ and not looking to ourselves or anything we could do or any other religious system or moral system or just being a good person or any of those things, Father, which are um, at best fallible efforts and at worst pride saying we can do it ourselves when you've clearly testified we can't. That's why you sent your son into the world. We're so grateful, Father, that you sent us Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. And it is only through him we come to you. We, we, in our fallenness, like there to be all kinds of ways that we can invent or traditions and so on we can follow. But you said, no, it's simply coming to my son and confessing your need of him. So, Father, may we who don't know you yet through Jesus come to him today, receive him by faith, confess that we have no life in ourselves and only in him we have eternal life. And those of us who have that life, keep seeking Jesus. Keep recognizing that in him alone is our, is our life. He is our best life now and forever. And all that we do, Father, no matter how mundane, whether we eat breakfast or spend time with friends or work or live in our neighborhoods or go on vacations or uh, serve you directly through the ministry of your kingdom people, Whatever we do, we do all for your glory and drawing our life from Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for giving us life in him. Amen.